Hi, and welcome to the Well-Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians at the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. And this week, we are going to be discussing books set in New York City. And this was a reader, no, not a reader suggestion. <laughs> She's probably a reader since she listens to this <laughs> podcast, but a listener suggestion uh, from Claire. Thank you, Claire. I actually think this might be something we had... We have a long list of potential topic ideas. Yeah, this, this may have was... been something we had thrown out early on. So yeah. thanks for bringing this up because it bumped it up to the top of our list. Yeah, and it's one of our favorite. It is one of our reading favorite. subjects. Yes. So, so why do you think? Why do you think we love them so much? Um, it's it's the fantasy I think of of this life in a city that if you don't live in a city, you sort of romanticize quite a bit. I don't think I ever cared about New York until I watched Gossip Girl, and then it just became everything I wanted in my life which is ridiculous because it's a terrible people doing terrible things and I don't want that in my life but also just the fantasy of this this very idealized lifestyle which I knew wasn't attainable I knew that that I I used to always joke to my friends that if I if I could only live in New York my life would be perfect and they were they were like no you just want to live in Gossip Girl right you want to live in New York with millions of dollars exactly exactly um and I was saying it facetiously yeah. so but but there's that I mean the media has has jumped onto that fantasy so well with like, there's always the the books or movies about young women that work in a magazine in New York but somehow afford apartments that are completely unrealistic mm-hmm. and that's something that's kind of universally appealing for some reason um I guess if you don't love cities then maybe that wouldn't appeal to you but I really really love cities mm-hmm. so so for me it's kind of the the ultimate city uh-huh. to live in how about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think I I would never want to live in New York. It's yeah. too much chaos and like hustle and bustle and all that for me. But the I I would say the appeal is the same for me. It's sort of like this glamorous world. It's like a fantasy sort right, of the way right. it's presented in a lot of these books. So and it's so different from where we live mm-hmm. and where I've always lived. I've never lived in a city like that. My sister lived in New York for a while and so visiting her was always fun, but I was always happy to leave yeah. at the end of the weekend. <laughs> um, and so, I don't know, it's just always fun to read. And a lot of the books set in New York are about really wealthy people. And for some right. reason, I really like reading about really right. wealthy people and their first world really wealthy problems. Yeah, I've thought about that, of what what's the deeper yes. meaning behind that, of why I enjoy reading those books yeah. so much. And I don't, I can't really pinpoint yeah. it. Yeah. It's, I think it's just the fantasy, yeah, of, the fantasy of something yeah. that doesn't relate to my life yeah. really in any way, yes. but it's fun to look in but it's kind of problematic too because we're talking about a very small subset of people that live in new york right but that's what's so overrepresented in in the media or at least in entertainment of what people have when they live there and it is not real (laughs) it's not real at all uh so what's your first one for me um so the first book i picked was the knockoff by lucy sykes and joe piazza and i picked this because we couldn't have a new york show without some chiclet it seemed a little wrong to me um and i don't read a ton of chiclet other than when i'm traveling that's that's sort of what i listen to Mm -hmm. typically so i had a decent amount that i could pick from but this one is is one that i read recently and thought it was kind of an interesting take on the genre because it it takes the standard formula of a young woman who's struggling at work and and in love generally in new york city um and she's trying to become her own person and it instead makes the heroine an aging fashion editor who's afraid of being made obsolete so it's sort of like an an all about eve update Mm -hmm. um with with the characters that come into this book and i thought that was a, a neat way of handling this this kind of in some ways very tired genre so the editor in question is named imogen tate and she's a legend in the fashion world for her work on the magazine glossy 
And she has, at the beginning of the book, she's just come back from a six-month leave of absence after fighting breast cancer. So she's gotten a clean bill of health, and she's very thrilled to be back to work finally. Um, But when she arrives on her first day, she finds that the magazine has been revamped as an all-digital app. And even though she'll still have a job working on the fashion part of the app, um, she had a former assistant who was named Eve Morton, who has just returned to the company after getting an MBA at Harvard. And she's been given a position at the same level as Imogen's, but she'll be handling all of the tech and business side of the app because she's she's fresh and new and she has all these these ideas. So once um, Imogen arrives, she finds out that Eve has already fired anyone that she deems to be old and out of touch, and she's revamped the entire workspace so that it doesn't resemble so much a functioning office, but um, kind of a high-energy sweatshop uh, where young women are desperate to work in the fashion industry, so they're willing to do crazy things like stay at work for days on end without sleeping, and if they sleep, they get fired. Um, And they're forced into these kind of friendship building activities I guess like they have these these dance parties and no one wants to do any of them but they they have to do this and they just spend all of their time either having these these friendly activities I should do friendly in air quotes yeah. or they're writing blog posts and so the quality of the the journalism goes down tons from from what the the magazine's standard had been as a as a print uh, publication it just basically becomes a tabloid essentially so um, Imogen herself is is fairly technology adverse, but she is determined to keep her job. And when Eve becomes more and more erratic and out of control, she kind of sees a way that she can maybe get back into into her old position. Eve Eve does things like she she decides to make her own wedding a high profile buying event for Glossy, and so she just everything she does becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, and and so this all starts to green out of control. The book was written by two women. One was a former tabloid journalist and one was a fashion stylist who actually worked at a fashion startup called Rent the Runway, which is the CEO and co-founder is kind of widely accepted as being the the inspiration for the Kate Morton character. So she won't say very much about this, but mm-hmm. people have have figured this out that this is essentially what she's writing about um, and it has all the fun of dishy chiclet but it also has a little bit of a, of a revenge fantasy particularly for older generations who are finding themselves out of the loop with, um, with the way the millennials are kind of driving the business world right now um, but I, I felt like it was done in a really good spirited way I didn't come out with the impression that millennials are all bad and that um, the older way is the right way to do it. There's there's kind of a give and take that, that the author comes to, or the authors, I should say, um, come to at the end of the book, which I, I liked. And I also liked that it doesn't really focus on men at all, um, other than as side characters, which is, uh, for me, a welcome departure in Chiclet, where male-female relations are always really kind of uh, upsetting in, mm-hmm. in their their lack of reality yeah. i guess um but you get all the glamour of the new york fashion world and imogen knows everyone that's worth knowing and she goes to all these fabulous parties and and runway shows and so it's it's a great way to indulge in the fantasy of that lifestyle and i i thought it was a great a great road trip read or, or listen i should say it very much kept my attention through the whole thing it's called the knockoff by lucy sykes and joe piazza yeah, I'm pretty sure I listened to that audiobook. I know I've read the book, but I, I think I did it as an audiobook. And mm-hmm. I remember it being a good audiobook. To yeah. Listen. Yeah. She does the two voices, mm-hmm. those kind of two narrators, yes. sort of. Yeah. And, and she does the two voices really well. So good times. All right. My first one is Let the Great World Spin by Colin McCann. And this book is a series of interconnecting vignettes, all revolving around the 1974 event when Philippe Petit 
walked on a wire between the two towers of the World Trade Centers, which is a real event that happened. Uh, it was an unsanctioned event. He just sort there's a movie called Man on Wire mm-hmm. who that that gets into it, but he sort of just once he was up there, they couldn't stop him because <laughs> he was walking across the wire between the two towers. So I love these types of books where there's a central event and then you get a peek into multiple people's lives who are tangentially related to that one event. Mm-hmm. And in this one, there are a variety of people, including a radical monk who provides shelter to a group of prostitutes, uh, mother, and then his brother comes to sort of deal with this fact that he's kind of being a liberal mm-hmm. <laughs> monk. Uh, and then uh, mothers who meet to mourn the loss of their sons in Vietnam. Um, and there's a mother-daughter prostitute, pe- two prostitutes who are mother-daughter, I should say, who are arrested. And, and so it's like you kind of get to know all these people from various facets of, of New York. It's a very gritty and colorful depiction of New York in the 70s. This is the opposite of something like Gossip Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, it felt very real to me. And McCann has a really lyrical and vivid way of writing where... I got really caught up in the narrative and the way he weaves the words together, which isn't typically, I'm not, there are certain people who just will read a book just for the beauty of the language. And that's not really me. I'm more like right. a plot character feeling kind of a person, mm-hmm. like the feeling I get from a book. Um, uh, but for some reason, this, the way he writes the story and along with the story he's telling just really meshed well for me. Um, and it brought 1970s New York alive for me, which is something that books are supposed to do you know they're supposed to transport you to a time and a place that you maybe can't inhabit for yourself but it gives you a a view into that world um so that's let the great world spin by colin mccann and it made me want to go watch man on wire after i finished it oh yeah i would like to watch that too it's very that's petrifying to me yeah (laughs) i yeah i'd have to hold something very close while i watch that I, i would like yeah be terrified panicked (laughs) Um, my next book is the lux by anna godberson and this is the first book in a series of four and they're probably most famous for their insane covers those dresses those dresses each each book features a girl in a ridiculously opulent opulent dress and they're each so over the top gorgeous that you can't help but pick them up there's there's just no way to not want to read these books Um, the series revolves around the holland sisters who live in new york city during the turn of the 20th century 1900s sounds right to me 1800s going into 1900s yeah Yeah. um and their main stays on the manhattan social scene elizabeth holland is the older sister and she's known as the good girl of society while her sister diana is a little bit of a bohemian but they each really enjoy the luxuries that their recently deceased father secured for the family um i can't remember what his job is but they're really really rich until their mother tells them that their fortune is completely gone and that Elizabeth is going to have to marry for money. And they know that in their world, appearances are everything. And so if anyone in society finds out about the loss of the money, they'll become outcasts. And they know that there are plenty of people who are willing to cast the first stone, including Elizabeth's backstabbing best friend, Penelope Hayes, who's a deliciously villainous character. Despite the pure images that these sisters have, they each are hiding secrets. And as everything is threatening to crumble around them, they decide to—they have to decide to what lengths they'll go to to find true happiness outside of the social code that they've known for their entire lives. 
And the story is told from multiple perspectives. So you see how the sisters, especially Elizabeth, are perceived from from um, in different ways from from different people surrounding them. For example, you get um, Elizabeth's maid, Lena, is is one of the characters in the book, and she has a completely different take on Elizabeth than you get from from really anyone else. And she has a story of her own that develops throughout the series. Um, so it isn't just it, it's definitely about wealth and privilege, but it's also about the lack of wealth and privilege to to some degree. This is the New York of the Astors and the Vanderbilts. So the wealthy are out of this world wealthy and the characters move in a world that is really glittering and sumptuous and all of their lives are seem really perfect, but they're covering really kind of delicious scandals. <laughs> so there's this is this is definitely a world that's unattainable to outsiders that are looking in. And I find reading about that juxtaposition of people, really wealthy people doing really stupid things and the people that want to be on the inside but can't be, I just find that completely fascinating. I could I could read only those types of books and probably be pretty happy. So if this sounds like a 19th century version of Gossip Girl to you, then it is. It was actually marketed. It's it's by the same publishing group as the the publisher of Gossip Girl, um, which is Alloy Entertainment. And they actually marketed this as kind of a historical fiction version of that show. So so it, it's very much marketed as as like beautiful girls doing bad things. <laughs> and it, but but they riding carriages so it's it's pretty great it's very angsty and very catty and it's full of drama and it's it's the perfect light reading um with the glamour of historical new york it's it's such a fun book i actually had a professor in in one of my children's classes in grad school talk about this book and say how it's not you know high literature but they're they're just so, so enjoyable. So enjoyable. I, I don't know so anyone. Yeah, and on good on my friends' reviews on Goodreads, everyone says I just can't stop gushing about this book. It's just so much fun. So it's it's definitely worth picking up. It's called the first book is called The Lux by Anna Godbertson. Uh, so my next one is Rules of Civility by Amor Toll. Your favorite. I love this book. I uh, cannot be impartial about it. I absolutely <laughs> love this book. Uh, it is about a young woman named Catherine Content in New York City in 1938. She is a legal secretary from Brighton Beach, and she's living in a boarding house with her friend Eve. And on New Year's Eve, they decide to go out on the town, and they happen to sit next to a man named Tinker Gray, who is a handsome, wealthy banker who befriends them. And so this one night and this one meeting kind of changes the course of the next year for them, which is what the book follows. I mean, it basically changes the rest of their lives, but what we see is the, next, the following year. And the relationships between the three of them shift and change, and Katie aspires to move into the upper echelons of society, so she thinks that this is kind of her chance to, to climb up a little bit. But as she does that, she starts seeing the cracks in the facade of the wealth and the privilege of those who are surrounding her. Katie is really smart and witty, and so... There's a lot of snappy banter and observations about what she is seeing and the peek into the world of these privileged New Yorkers that few would ever experience. And she, because she's an outsider, she has these perceptions of it that that are unique. And um, it's, I just was completely enraptured by this novel. I've read it more than once. I read it once and listened to the audiobook once. And I just think it bring like I said about the last one like it brings to life 30s New York mm-hmm. in a way that few other things I've ever experienced have for me and so 
I just I just can't say enough about it. It just hit a sweet spot for me of the story and the characters uh, and the writing really shines. I felt like it it's does it does it's not distracting. It doesn't pull focus from what the story is, but it really services what the story he's trying to tell. Uh, and it's her, his first book, which is amazing nice. to me. Um, that's Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls. I should say we we had we had talked about doing an honorable mention book, which kind of reminds me of of rules of civility which was the diviners oh of yes. also oh, being another yes. new york set book yes. that is so so perfect yeah so evocative of yes. the time period and sort of the fantasy yes. of of new york and that's set in the 20s yes. um but we both said oh if only we had not already <laughs> talked about the diviners i mean it kept coming to my head when right. i would think of what what books to talk about i'd be like well the diviners of course and yeah. i'd be like no i can't talk about the diviners we already talked about it <laughs> If only we had known that only. we would be doing this podcast a year later, <laughs> we would have uh, doled so yes. out our subjects. But a yeah, bit I really better. feel like the diviners and rules of civility have a lot of, even though they're totally different stories. Right. Like if you like one, you'll like the right, other. Right, right, right. It's also it's interesting too how like we, we're talking a lot about the fantasy of wealth, and yes. but why don't I care about books about people in L.A. in or like Hollywood stars? Yes. That doesn't appeal to me in the same way that New York wealthy people yeah maybe because it's like an older maybe old money kind of yeah it's just so so interesting to me all right hit me with your next one okay my last book is behold the dreamers by imbolo Mbue. this just came out i think last week or at our recording i think i talked about it in our yeah yeah. you you talked about it during the summer uh preview episode a few weeks ago so august yeah um, this is a debut novel by a Cameroonian immigrant who's lived in New York for the past 10 years. And the book is set in, it starts in 2007. And it's about a, ma- a man from Cameroon named Jende Janga, who lives in New York illegally with his wife and son while he's applying for a green card. And he has, I think, been driving a cab for, for a while. And he can't believe his luck when he gets a job as a chauffeur for Clark Edwards, who is a senior executive at Lehman Brothers, which is a massive investment bank, if you don't know. Jende is hired to drive Clark and his wife Cindy and they they have two sons one's an adult and one's a child Um, he's hired to drive them all over Manhattan and he is told that that the family demands complete discretion and loyalty which Jende is more than happy to provide so soon um, even Jende's wife Nenny is working as a temporary housekeeper for the Edwards family at their their Hampton house um, over the summer and everything seems to be working out wonderfully between them um, they have a really good situation and Jende is is making more money than he ever thought possible which is $35,000 a year <laughs> yeah while Nenny uh, goes to school at the same time they both um because they're they're encountering the family um kind of separately from each other they're both aware that the family even though they seem to have everything that could make them happy and and everything that that the janga family certainly dreams of they're they're aware that the family isn't really happy um clark is always at work he does nothing but work and there seems to be um an edge in his his attitude about the direction that Lehman Brothers is is going as a company and Cindy at the same time is really struggling to keep the family together and is battling a lot of demons from her past so we of course know where this is going um in September 2008 Lehman Brothers collapsed and was a major contributor to the financial crisis of the the late 2000s so the family the Edwards family's lives are beginning to crumble and the Jongas are desperate to keep Jende's position um, but even as they do that, they're starting to see huge cracks in their own marriage. And 
um, realizing that their personal dreams of of life in America are starting to to split away from each other um, in ways they hadn't expected when they when they immigrated. So as the title suggests, this is a novel about the the American dream and what it means to different people and how um, different people's lives are and their dreams are completely entwined with each other, even as they're in opposite ends of the economic spectrum, which which was really interesting to see in this book. And I, I really love the irony that the the vast differences between the situations with the Edwards family and the Jongas are best seen when they're inhabiting the same very small space, which is the inside of a car. So you'll you'll see you'll hear these conversations or Jende hears these conversations that are um that that Clark and Cindy are, are having over the phone um about th- things that are trivial like being afraid of having to fly coach now that they don't have as much money but then he also sees the real fears that they have of losing everything that they've they've worked years for but at the same time Jende is worried about being deported on a pretty much daily basis and he's barely making enough money to scrape by but to him that's prosperity and so you get this really interesting kind of mix of of attitudes about about where their lives are even as they're completely wrapped up in each other um, so despite some of these themes, th- which could seem kind of heavy, the book is pretty light in tone and it reads really quickly. And I really loved seeing the, these two sides of New York portrayed side by side, um, especially seeing the optimism and wonder that that a, a new uh, immigrant to New York would feel. And, and that's just really fascinating to read. So I enjoyed it. It's called Behold the Dreamers by Imbolo Mbue. That sounds so good. I, I knew it sounded good when I read the description <laughs> that I put it on my list of what I wanted to read. Yeah, I think you would really like it. Yeah. All right, so my last one is Murder on Astor Place by Victoria Thompson. This is the first in the Gaslight Mystery series. I know, what is going on that I'm talking about a mystery? I can't believe it. (laughs) So there are 19 of them now. I can't believe that either. (laughs) That is insane to me. (laughs) Uh, You definitely want to read them in order because they do build on Mm -hmm. one another, but don't fret if you're one of the people like Anne and me who, you know, (laughs) go back to the beginning Um, because they're kind of like an after one afternoon sort Mm -hmm. of a read. They don't take very long so you can get through them fairly quickly um they take place in the turn of the century turn of the 20th century new york city uh featuring sarah brant who's a midwife from a very well-to-do family who has recently lost her husband and despite her family's objections has decided to live independently and pursue a career as a midwife uh which has caused an estrangement between she and her family and the whole world where that she was raised basically the society where she was raised uh, and when a young woman from a prominent family is murdered in the same building where Sarah has just delivered a baby, um, Sarah decides to reach out to her family and other people that she knew from in her old life to try to help figure out who the murderer is. At that time, the police force was completely corrupt and you had to pay them to solve crimes. And if you didn't pay them, they wouldn't solve crimes. That's so crazy. <laughs> um, and so there's... There's a detective sergeant named Frank Malloy who is an upstanding guy and he wants to try to solve the crime but is basically told that the family told him not to. Um, and so Sarah, he and Sarah have met through because of this crime, this investigation, and end up begrudgingly teaming up because he has dismissed her and doesn't really like her meddling. He thinks that it's an annoyance. But when he realizes she can be a useful resource and kind of is not going to let him (laughs) 
<laughs> just leave her in the dust. Uh, they they team up. Um, and so what I love about this series in general, not just this book, is it takes you all over New York. Yes. Um, and it's the best part. It's the best part of it. And Sarah goes to all sorts of different places to deliver children, and the crimes take you through all sorts of situations. And it has so many historical details woven through. It's You learn things about the police force at the time and the way that was set up. You learn about uh, midwifery or midwifery yeah <laughs> midwifery is a fun word to is say. a fun word to say uh and then frank's ha- frank has a son who is deaf and it's fascinating to read about the way deaf people were treated at the time and how people thought of deaf people and the development of frank's relationship with his son and because sarah has entered their life and there's a little spark of an attraction between sarah and frank that that grows throughout the book. So it has really appealing characters. They're fast-paced mysteries. Like I said, it's not a huge time commitment, but you're completely engrossed while you're reading them. And it really brings that era to life, like all Mm -hmm. these books that we're talking about. It just really plops you dead center into New York and all the different parts of it and and shows you what it would have been like at the turn of the century to be living there. Um, So the like I said, it's a Gaslight Mystery series, and the first one is Murder on Astor Place by Victoria Thompson. And she writes one a year, They come out, I think, every summer. I think so. I think every summer. So if you have plenty of time, we're at the end of one summer, you can read 19 and be all ready for number 20 next summer. Yeah, those are are so fun because they, like, New York during that period was so interesting Mm -hmm. with all these immigrants coming in Mm -hmm. and, and, and she's created a situation that that allows the mm-hmm. character to move in all of these different circles. In a believable way. Yeah, in a believable way. Mm-hmm. It reminds me um, of the the Anne Perry um, series. With, oh, you haven't? Those are fun. The Charlotte Pitt, uh, Charlotte and Thomas Pitt are yeah. the characters. And it's sort of the same premise of a society girl mm-hmm. that gets involved with a, a very common policeman mm-hmm. and, and then is able to do all of these, these um, detective activities. So... Um, that's it's just smart. Yeah. It's a smart way to smart. write a mystery. Yes, it is a smart way to write a mystery. All right, so we'll be right back with what we're reading this week. What are you reading this week? I'm reading How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accents by Julia Alvarez. And I actually had planned to read this as a New York book because I wanted to read one that was about the immigrant experience since all of my New York books on Goodreads were rich people books. <laughs> and I found that a little bit troubling. So um, so I decided to read this, but then I got about 100 pages in and nothing had happened in New York yet. So I decided that maybe this wasn't quite as New York centric as I was wanting it to be. So I changed to Behold the Dreamers. Um, but I think that this will get more involved in New York later in the book, but I just haven't gotten there yet. So this isn't so much of a novel as it is interconnected, semi-autobiographical short stories, uh, which tell the story of the Garcia family in reverse. So it actually starts in the late 80s and it moves backward to 1956, I think is where it, where it starts, um, which I haven't gotten to that part yet. The book, the book mostly focuses on the third daughter, Yolanda, who is the stand-in for Julia Alvarez, and, and pretty much everything is told from her perspective. 
and the parts I've read so far are all about the family as adults with the s- sisters struggling to find their their way through romantic relationships and divorces, and they're also finding their place in the family um, dynamic as adults. But there are also hints of the past in these stories so far uh, that I expect to be more fleshed out as I read. Um, the back of the book tells me <laughs> that the the family was forced to move um, to the United States after their father was part of an uprising against a dictator in the Dominican Republic, and that the world that they come from, which was full of family and prosperity and kind of a, a traditional religious background, um, is is very vastly different from what they find in the United States. And the sisters are trying to do their best to assimilate into a typical uh, American teenage existence. And they're going to test the boundaries of their traditional upbringing and, and sort of cause a lot of havoc for their, their parents. Um, but really, it seems like the major theme is finding your identity when you're split between two worlds. And and so I, I'm excited to get to that and, and see a little bit of, of how that will play out. The writing style is, is really different from what I usually read. Um, some of the stories are, are very straightforward and some of them have kind of a, a magical realism feel, even though they're, they're not magical realism at all. They just have a, a you're very aware of the language Mm -hmm. in in ways that I don't typically gravitate towards. Um, But it reminds me a lot of the, the books of uh, Sandra Cisneros, if you're familiar with her. Um, She wrote uh, the house on mango street and Caramello, I think is one of her other books. Um, So the focus is a lot on um, Latino identity and family relationships and um, the female role in a a male centered culture. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's going to be a lot, to chew on and a lot that will be really interesting. So I'll get to it this week. <laughs> it's called How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accents by Julia Alvarez. And what I am listening to this week is The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. I had read a bunch of really good reviews of this book. Um, I feel like overwhelmingly good reviews of this book. And many of them suggested to listen to the audiobook instead of reading it. So and I agree that the narrator is is really good. So I haven't obviously read the print version, so I can't compare, but the I would recommend the audiobook. It's about a young girl named Melanie who's a very bright child. She's inquisitive and interested in the world. And she wakes up every day and attends school with several dozen other children um, who are all zombies. <laughs> oh. So they are being studied by a woman named Dr. Caldwell, who wants to figure out why the small percentage of they're not really children. They're they just haven't aged since in 20 years. Mm-hmm. They're zombies. And why so she's trying to figure out why this portion of them can think and feel and reason when 90% of what they call hungries are just the typical brain dead zombies that you think of in pop culture. Uh, and she's also trying to find a cure based on what she, what findings she she discovers so they're actually the school is at a base a military base and when the base gets attacked a small group of survivors including melanie dr caldwell caldwell and melanie's favorite teacher travel to uh, or are trying to travel to beacon which is a safe city which is rumored to have developed in the 20 years since the zombie apocalypse and um and so they're all trying to get there but they have melanie who is both a help and a hindrance mm-hmm. because of her abilities. So this is not usually my reading no. taste at all. And I don't think I really knew what it was when I got it. I yeah. had just read so many good reviews of it that I thought, all right, well, I'll try it. Um, but it's really very gripping. It's um, it's more about the characters and their relationships to each other than anything 
focused on zombies or gore. Although there are a few scenes that I sort of had to tune out a little bit as I was listening because <laughs> they were a little too graphic for my taste. But but in general, it's really more about the evolving relationships and kind of how people look at each other and look at others and and, and disparage them in ways and why why people oh, do that. And it's about survival. And so um, anyway, it's it's been really, really interesting. It's called The Girl With All the Gifts by M. R. Carey. I confess that my jaw dropped when I saw you were reading a horror book. I well, thought, I don't even know if I would consider it horror. It's like right, it it gets like labeled sci-fi. that, but it's it seemed yeah. like oh wow yeah. I mean, I good for I you, guess Hallie, it, for getting out of your. Out. <laughs> uh, well, it was my goal this year. To yeah, branch out a bit. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm not really sure how I would classify mm-hmm. it. Definitely sci-fi. Definitely dystopian. I guess horror, but I. I wasn't scared by it right. anyway, which I, I, that's, I think what keeps me from reading horror right. or watching horror movies or anything, because I don't like that creepy, scary feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, I guess it is, I don't know. That's a hard label. The, yeah. the few horror books I've read, if this is considered horror, the few that I've read aren't what I picture when I'm avoiding horror books. Right. I'll say that. Well, that's a good recommendation for yeah. people that are that not are. into horror, but exactly. <laughs> want uh, something kind of fun. All right, so let's go back and list off everything we talked about. Okay, I talked about The Knockoff by Lucy Sykes and Joe Piazza, The Lux by Alan Godbertson, Behold the Dreamers by Mbolo Mbue, and what I'm reading this week is How the Garcia Girls Lost Their Accents by Julia Alvarez. And I talked about Let the Great World Spin by Colin McCann, Rules of Civility by Amor Tolls, Murder on Astor Place by Victoria Thompson, and what I'm reading this week is The Girl with All the Gifts by M.R. Carey. If you'd like to get in touch with us to give us feedback or a suggestion on a topic you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com, find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver. Our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep our show notes at BeaufortCountyLibrary.org slash well-read, where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading. Happy reading.